Hello, you're listening to the Adams and Hayes podcast, the podcast where two blokes who really should know better try to make health and safety a little less boring. In this episode, we look at health and safety in the news, vote on whether we think pap testing is a myth or not, and discuss blowing the dark roads, all in an attempt to have a conversation about health and safety can lead to better business. So, let's get into it. Okay, so um, I think we nailed that. How are you? How are you doing this week? Anyway, uh, we haven't spoken for a couple of days because I've I've been on the road. Yeah, yeah, doing all right. I'm, I'm taking some well earned leave, um, so spending some uh, good quality family time. What have you been up to? I, I want to say I want. I've been doing a lot, but I haven't. I've been doing kind of admin. I'm afraid nothing exciting. It's funny how in your head you think your time off is going to be this amazing like time to decompress and you kind of in your head you think i'm going to spend my holiday sat in front of the tv vegging out and then you're like oh there's this electoral register thing that i forgot i needed to fill in and i've had about three emails about it so i should probably do that and then before you know you're knee deep in your budget like like add a child into that and (laughs) it it kind of yeah oh yeah Um, this morning uh, we were in like an indoor inflatable play center thing um which was really cool Oh, but it was so warm, like really, really yeah. warm. Um, I'm glad the session was only an hour. That's all I had the energy for. Was it hot enough to kill all the bacteria that would be coming off the children in that space? Or was it kind of that nice muggy warm where you know you're going to walk out with a cold? Yeah, it's the muggy warm where you're going to walk out with a cold. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I've been on the road. I was up north in Aberdeen, which was really nice. Uh, some of the listeners won't be able to tell, but I, I was born in Aberdeen. I grew up in Glasgow. I don't really have that much of an accent when I'm uh, doing what we call recording because I put my BBC voice on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've just had a thought um, for for the listeners. We are planning on bringing in some guest speakers to talk about some really interesting things. If I bring on somebody that's Scottish, um, Dan, your host, will turn Scottish. It's incredible. I'm gonna have to. It's incredible yeah. to witness. So you need to keep your ears peeled for that one. I I I'd be interested to see what happens whether I'm able to hang on to my. Uh, quote-unquote bbc voice uh, or whether i just throw it throw it down the window i think we should we should definitely try that I yeah i think funny. it would be too right should we do some news sure so each week we look back at the news and social media content uh, to bring you two headlines that have stuck with us the most yeah and we don't always necessarily look at something that's obviously health and safety we might we might look at a mainstream news story and go, hang on a bit, there's a health and safety angle on that. Or we might look at something that is just out and out blatant health and safety. Anthony, I think you're up first this week. Yeah, sure. So this week, the topic that stood out for me is the government wanting to introduce changes to the building regulations in order to mandate separate male and female toilets in all public buildings in England. So um, this one stuck out for me. Um, because there's obviously loads going on with the Building Safety Act. There's the secondary legislation that was uh, released last week, which if you're not already all over that, go and, go and check that out. Um, yeah, uh, I'll take that note. But the um, but the toilet thing was something that stuck out with me. I mean, doing quite a lot of work in the CDM arena, welfare is always high on the agenda. Um, mm. However, this one kind of stuck out for for different reasons. Mainly because um, it, it's it's changed my thought process. Um, 
So we've, we've seen a rise of um, gender neutral toilets, which is great because we're trying to accommodate for, for everybody that needs to be accommodated for. Um, and in doing that, we appear to have converted too many single sex toilets into gender neutral toilets. And now uh, particularly women and vulnerable people have come forward to say we, we don't feel as though we now have a safe space uh, that we um, are having our dignity respected. So mm -hmm. I honestly did not see that going the other way, um, which put in kind of a safety perspective on it. Um, even when you think you're doing the right thing, you might not be doing the right thing. You might have gone too far the other way. Um, so obviously we, we want everybody to feel safe. We want everybody to feel um, as though their space is their own. Yeah. Unfortunately, it looks like we've we've converted too many single-sex toilets into gender-neutral toilets, and we, we've gone the other way with it. Yeah, it would be... It'd be interesting to see where the government got the figures from in order to say we've we've gone too far the other way. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, uh, the the government's saying that they they did um, research. They asked for 17,000 responses from a, a wide-ranging um, demographic in order to get the views of people to see how they feel about the current, um, current toilet situation. Hmm. I mean, what isn't being said is that it, it isn't either single sex or gender neutral. You can have a gender neutral toilet and single sex toilets. Yeah, Everything yeah. can exist at once. Um, I think it's the conversion rate of single sex into gender neutral. And actually what this story is about is, no, 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 it's not about saying you can't have gender neutral toilets. It's saying that you can't just deal with diversity by blanket everything is gender neutral when actually there are good reasons why people who are not gender neutral might want a specific toilet for themselves and actually diversity is not about one size fits all but actually what i think we have been seeing is that developers are going well we want to be quote unquote diverse so we're going to go one size fits all which kind of defeats the point and i think when you read into some of the news articles what it looks like the government might be trying to do is to try and address that we don't want to end up in a position where diversity is diluted down to one size fits all because that is not what it's about yeah one size fits all doesn't fit anyone generally yeah um yeah in fact the people that i i know tend to refer to it as one size fits no one so yeah yeah um i think that you, yeah, you've got that one size fits all that doesn't fit anyone or ensuring appropriate facilities for all. And that's what we need to be supporting our diversity and inclusion colleagues on um, and and also involving them in conversations when we as health and safety advisors are trying to make decisions about welfare is making sure that that is a, an open conversation with both sides of the same coin um, because what we don't want to be in is a stage where we go for one size fits all and it doesn't work. I mean, this stuff is really important. Uh, I'm not sure whether people are aware. Uh, Reba Planner Works, um, it, they've done some fantastic work from concept design all the way through to, mm. to, to handing over. And mm -hmm. the, the Planner Works is a really good kind of framework to work from. Mm. They've recently released, um, I'm talking a couple of months ago, 
an inclusive design overlay to the Weber Planner Works. Oh, I hadn't I hadn't seen that. That's a really good shout. Um, yeah, to... yeah. So that that is kind of the levels that we get into with with trying to make things as inclusive as possible. Yeah. But a huge institution like Reba have come up with an overlay to say you need to be factor inclusion into design. Mm-hmm. So, That's so encouraging to hear as well because whatever the problems are that you end up with in operation a lot of the time. They could have been designed out. Not all of them, obviously, but it's it's getting that right of design. So it's really encouraging to hear that Reba have put that together. So my story is a little bit um, a little bit more tragic. Um, I don't think we could cover health and safety news this week without touching on the you know the tragic death of Michael Jones um, at the New Everton Stadium in Liverpool. And obviously, it goes without saying, but my thoughts and and prayers have been with his family. I think particularly for me, his comment that really got me this week was the comment that he's a lifelong fan of Everton and he was just getting, he was so happy to be working on this project was, was kind Mm. of the comment that came from the family. But what I think one of the reasons, and I'm keen to follow this story over the course of the next few months as it plays out, but this is the second fatality that Lang O'Rourke, the principal contractor at Everton, have um, have experienced on one of their sites. The first being Jason Waring, who was 48, died just before Christmas last year at Hinkley Point C, where Lang O'Rourke are currently in a joint venture with Boy Goose Travo Public Travo Publix. I'm glad you um, can pronounce that. I just I, about I read yeah. that and said I'm not going to give that a shot. But I think I've probably. Um, not done a particularly great job of pronouncing it, but it's a joint venture at Hinkley Point C. And obviously joint ventures are slightly different from parent companies, but I think people will be looking at that and seeing, hang on a minute, this is uh, this is not a good record for Lang O'Rourke. They were, I think, they were very quick in their statement to say oh, one of our subcontractors is... Yeah, I, I mean, I'm still trying to like pull apart some of the details on it. I think one of the things I was going to say here is that at the moment we've not you know, you come off the back of these incidents and actually you don't get, with health and safety incidents, you don't get as much information as quickly as you would do with uh, sort of other incidents the police would be involved in. Mm. They tend to be a lot more closed off, but we have got more details from Hinkley Point C. I I probably need to go away and have a look at that subcontractor. But the thing that's really stuck out for me is that the investigation at Hinkley is still ongoing. Mm. They did, however, highlight that they'd had a lot of near misses in the run-up to the death at Hinkley Point. I think it will be revealing if we see a similar trend with this incident at Everton. Uh, We definitely need more details before we can comment. Uh, I think one of the things that stuck out to me as I was thinking about this is we have a mathematical formula in Reason's Triangle that says if you have a lot of near misses and you don't manage them, that's eventually going to lead to a fatality i I also don't think you need a mathematical mathematical paradigm to be able to kind of follow the logic of if you have lots of near misses and lots of sort of low level incidents you don't manage them that they will end up eventually adding up to something that's going to be as tragic as this has been i don't want to make that comment about everton because we we simply don't know at this point the facts of the issue it's obviously a heartbreaking story and i think it will be one that we follow quite closely to see what happens with it 
but I think a lot of people will be asking the question, you know, Lang O'Rourke had this issue at Hinkley as principal contractor. It's not, it's not even been 12 months since then. So I think there will be questions that naturally go around of difficult questions Lang O'Rourke are going to have to be answering over the course of the next couple of months. But again, as I said, until we have more information, it's difficult to comment. Of but, course, of course. I just want to echo your sentiments to the family of uh, Michael Jones. Yeah. Twenty-six is no age at all. No. I mean, it just got me, especially for somebody who's working at, you know, they, he must have been so chuffed to have that job, to be helping build a stadium for his football team. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thoughts yeah. and prayers with the family at this time. Yep, definitely. Here's to a thorough investigation um, and hopefully preventative actions stop this from happening again. Yeah, definitely. Okay, shall we jump into Mythbusters then? Yes. Yes. So, Pat testing. Uh, I mean, we'll vote on it at the end, right? I think it, it's something that every time somebody mentions it, people always tend to mention it when you're when you're talking about a more serious hazard. Yes. Sorry for the listeners so far. We're calling it Pat testing. It doesn't sound right if you don't call it Pat testing. But I'm very conscious that you can't have portable appliance testing, testing. Yeah, it's not great grammar, is it? Not, but we still kind of go with the pat testing thing. Yeah, I've I've never kind of really understood this one. Um, the the kind of legal requirement is that um, you you need to maintain your electrical equipment. That's the kind of legal obligation under the electricity at work regs um, eighty nine. However, it doesn't say how you need to do that. You've got your mandated um, five-year fixed electrical testing that needs to be conducted. But people are pat-testing things that don't need to be pat-tested. People are pat-testing things that aren't portable, or they, they're pat-testing 12-volt um, charger plugs that, that don't fall under the category of pat-testing, and charging you a fortune. So as, as somebody who's not an electrical engineer which I don't think you need, you actually don't need to be to do pat testing, do you? So that's by the by. But if somebody maybe doesn't understand pat testing in great detail, what what are you actually testing for? Yeah, I mean, pat testing is a visual inspection and then you plug it into a machine, you press a button and it goes yes or no. Yes, there's a fault or no, there's not a fault. Right, okay. And then... And how much does how much does the machine know, cost? Um, but they, they what they tend to do is put a sticker on it, and then they they put the corresponding sticker in a register, and they complete the register to show that that item's been tested um, at whatever frequency they dictate, um, because it's not a legal requirement. So, right. So here, here's a genuine question: What? So what faults are they testing for when you well? if one was to decide that one was going to enter into pat testing? Um, I was definitely not ready for this question on Mythbusters today. What? Maybe we should Google this. What faults do they test for? Uh, right, I've just had a look. It includes earth continuity, lead polarity, and insulation resistance checks. Let's be, be right about this. Having a fire in any premises is not going to be a good thing. Yeah. So... From that perspective, if it's minimizing risk, great, crack on. But I don't see it doing that. 
I see people testing things that why why is that got a label on it? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of when I've um, a few years ago I was uh, supporting a small landlord with with a couple of properties, and I I do remember having a conversation with him because I think he figured out he could get a pat tester for 200, however much it, it wasn't as much as it is now. I think it was like, he could figure he could get a pat testing machine for like 70 quid. Whereas to get the electrician to come out and service the fuse board was going to cost him like 450 quid. And I was like, you need to get your fuse board serviced. And he was like, why I can pat test things. I went, no, that's the, the different things. And if anything, the more important thing is getting your fuse board tested to make sure that the actual the actual circuits in in the properties that you own are still at a level of usability and safety and yeah so i think pat testing is good in that if you're you know we talk about adding layers of controls to things to make sure you've got that final layer of control in um but i do think sometimes maybe it gets a bit of a reputation as being the silver bullet when actually there are other controls you need to have in place as well as pat testing maybe yeah i remember on board our engineers used to come around and pat test things and everybody had kind of um a bit like an amnesty of if you've got any personal laptops on board etc etc like bring it all we'll, we'll test a lot mm. um and and they did all that which is fantastic i can remember they had to pat test the smoke machine so the machine that we used to pretend there was a fire right. needed to be packed. And I loved it. That's amazing. I loved it. Oh, dear. So are we going to vote on this or what? So are we saying pat testing? Um, what, what's, what's the actual question? Well, I don't think it's a myth because it's real, right? It is and real. It's, it, it produces results. I think that I... I have experience of working with some people who maybe don't understand the whole picture of electrical testing and maybe add too much onus onto pat testing when there are other things that need to be a priority. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I think now we have our social medias up and running. People should tell us what they yeah, think. That's a, is pat testing that is a great idea. Can we do a poll on LinkedIn or I something? Will, yep. I will put a poll on X and let us know. Amazing. Do you know what? Vote on it. We'll cover it next time we do Mythbusters. We'll go. What was the last one? Yeah, great. Let's do it. Should we move on to Loved and Loathed on LinkedIn? Yep, sounds good. So, I think you're doing Loved this week, aren't you? I am doing Loved this week. Yep. So, what I've seen on LinkedIn this week that I decided to put in this section uh, was a post from Elfried Samba where Australia is testing glow-in-the-dark roads not the roads themselves the lines on the roads um, so they the photoluminescent coating of the light line marking and it absorbs light during the day and emits it at night making the markings visible for up to 12 hours so this trial is taking place um, in a one kilometer road section near Victoria, and it's aiming to improve road safety at night. There's been over a thousand fatal road incidents in Australia in 2021, and 200 of them happened at night. So they're hoping that these glow in the dark roads could reduce accidents by enhancing visibility. 
So that is my loved on LinkedIn this week. I think that's a phenomenal yeah, I'd love bit to, of engineering. I'd love to see that in the UK as well, if it's successful. Uh, I definitely, because we we both do a fair bit of driving for work, um, definitely in the winter as well. So many times when maybe I've been driving down a road I'm not familiar with, or I've been driving home in the dark, down a road that I maybe haven't driven down before in the dark. You can't necessarily have your full beams on the whole time because you've got traffic coming the other way. So you're also getting the glare from that. So it can make it really difficult to see when you're driving in the dark. So I, you know, hopefully that is a success and it's something that's really useful. And if it is, I'd love to see that trialed in the UK as well. Yeah, definitely. I think a few years ago now, they started turning the street lighting off overnight. It wasted yeah. energy. Yeah, let, let's kind of keep that in the grid. Mm. However, I don't think the risk was properly assessed. No, no. You you do have fewer drivers on the road. You do have slightly more advanced vehicle technology with better lighting systems and things. Yeah, yeah. But some people just aren't confident driving at night. Yeah. And I think anything that you can help, um, help them yeah. with is, is good, right? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, that is my loved on LinkedIn this week. Amazing, good effort. So I'm on Loathed this week and my Loathed on LinkedIn is a post that's been doing the right. This has been doing the rounds for probably about five years now. It comes up every now and then. And I think it has a bit of a resurgence sort of in the middle of, I always seem to see it like just comes up just just after Christmas and I wonder if the people who start posting it are the people who've come back from Christmas and like they're literally walking into the office and people are still a little bit hungover from Boxing Day or New Year or whatever it is mm. and maybe they're just rather than actually adding anything productive to LinkedIn or just having sort of a subtle jab at their colleagues who have turned up hungover the post essentially goes along the lines of 10 things that take no effort or 10 things that take no talent, one one or the other. Generally a list of things like timekeeping, body language, having energy, you know, putting work ethic in and all that stuff. Yeah, t- turning up on time. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah, I've seen those, I've seen those. Which, which I just wanna pick on the turning up on time thing. And I'm not a parent, but you are. Mm. How much talent does it take you as a parent to turn up on time to things with a child? So I am a bit OCD when it comes to timekeeping. Yeah. It it really bothers me when people are late for things. I would, I'd rather be two hours early than five minutes late. It mm. was kind of drilled into me in the forces, as you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, timekeeping was high on the agenda. Um, yeah. We, yeah. Unless you were five minutes before you were classed as being late. Yeah. Or adrift, as they called it in the Navy. Um, so yeah, time, timekeeping is really high on my agenda. As soon as I had a child, I've I've not been on time for anything, anything yeah. at all. Um, when you kind of turn up and go, got a child now, everyone goes, yeah, yeah, that's that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. It's more difficult. Yeah. Like, right, I've got forty five minutes to do this fifteen minute trip. You're gonna be late. <laughs> yeah, because your child just vomited all down the clothes. You just like prepared for them the night or, before. Or they the decide night. that actually they don't want to go out at all. 
and you've got yeah. to walk them into it. And it's not them choose they want to wear. They want to wear the wellies. And you're like, well, you don't need to wear wellies today, but you're going to lose that conversation. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, do I let my child wear wellies to the swimming pool or do I turn up on time? There's like, only one answer there, mate. Yeah, yeah, your child's I going in will <laughs> <laughs> I mean I agree that a lot of the things on these lists are often important and they're definitely good characteristics for somebody to have at work the thing that I find difficult about this statement is the inference that these things don't require talent or they don't require effort which I think is just absurd I, like I say you know someone I think someone without kids has written this statement or somebody who maybe doesn't like their kids has written this statement. But, you know, you have got to, you know, get, like we said, getting somewhere when on time when you have a child is is super difficult. And that's not even my biggest problem with it. The reality is that ten the 10 things on these lists that often turn up and they, they change from time to time, they're not always the same thing, are real struggles for people who are neurodiverse. Mm. It requires a lot of effort for for certain people with certain neurodiversities to turn up on time. Typing is a real problem. Work ethic can be a real challenge for, for myself. Like I've spoken to you a lot of the time about my own journey with figuring out who I am with regards to kind of neurodiversity. And for me, I have days where I am super productive and my work ethic is through the roof and I can get up at, like I did today, I can get up at 7am and I can work till 7pm and I can just smash it out of the park and then I can sit on and do, you know, prepare for a podcast with one of my best mates. There are other days when I'm just like, oh my days, this is difficult. <laughs> yep. And I just, I just find it so hard. And I would find it really difficult if someone had turned around and said, work ethic, that doesn't require any talent, that doesn't require any effort. Yeah, yeah, get uh, get get into that job in the middle of London when there's a tube strike on, requires no effort. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, that's a great example, because again, for somebody who's neurotypical, like, I have the neuro, sorry, for somebody who's neurodiverse, sorry, you're adding a whole lot of other things in, like, yeah. and so, like, although those things are great, and they're good things to have. I just flat out don't agree that they don't require effort. Yeah. I mean, to throw this back to last week, it's kind of the same thing. Somebody's done this with positivity in mind. They've done this with trying to bring like bring people up from, oh, well, I don't have any talent. It doesn't mean that you can't get stuff done. It doesn't mean that you can't do this and it doesn't do that, et cetera. Where once again, a post has kind of been, yeah, and churned through that many times that it's kind of yeah it no longer means what it what it should have meant yeah yeah definitely and the thing that i was sort of thinking about is how do we link this back to health and safety hmm. and it got me thinking about often the people who write things like the golden rules for example maybe don't have an understanding of what's going on for the people that are going to have to follow those golden rules. I think of an example of the time where I was on a site where one of the golden rules is wear gloves at all times. But <laughs> what? I, I know the only time you could take them off was when you were in the canteen. And then as soon as you stepped out of the canteen, you had to have the gloves on. And it made sense, right? Because there was stuff that they were, the workers were being exposed to and they really ought to have been wearing gloves and it was i guess it was good for their safety but the problem was the gloves were terrible they were really cheap nobody had spent any effort 
but they'd literally gone down to a to a, a hardware store, bought a ton of gloves, and handed them out on site. And they just got wet so quickly, and it was. And then people were being shouted at, and they were being lectured, and they were being pulled in for toolbox talks because they weren't wearing these gloves. And actually, when you went out and looked at the gloves, they were sopping wet. And I think this, the reason I bring this round to safety is because I always like to try and do that with loads on LinkedIn's, is thinking, how does this inform the way we act as health and safety professionals? Hmm. And I think, first of all, is on those 10 things, just straight up read the post. We need to be aware that people are different and that things like timekeeping and work ethic and all the rest of it, while they might be really easy for somebody for one person, they might be really difficult for somebody else. But the other thing as well is how much does that apply to the way that we do health and safety? How much of our golden rules might seem like they make a lot of sense to us and they might feel really easy to us, but actually if we put ourselves in the shoes of the workforce, putting those things down on paper is not helpful. Coming back to that same topic each time, isn't it? Employee consultation, find out what the problems are rather than just pumping out a load of rules in the hope that somebody's going to follow them. Yeah, absolutely. And they're, they're good, right? Golden rules have a place. Um, but I think, again, on that site where we we had those, we literally had boxes of these gloves in a cupboard. You yeah. just handed them out. And um, it was a golden rule, and it, you know, it was right for that rule to be there. It, it was controlling a, a particular risk, but... Mm the consultation just hadn't happened. We hadn't like, nobody had gone, right, you're going to have to wear these gloves for seven and a half hours a day while you're on site, except for the, you know, the half an hour you get for your lunch break or however long it was. Yeah, so I, I, I was fortunate enough to be part of a glove trial. We wanted to see which gloves uh, the, the workers liked and mm. what, what kind of fit with the works that they needed to do. It, it kind of went well with the rest of the PPE. Um, yeah, they, they still managed to like use the mobile phone and stuff because mm. let's face it, we want a photo for everything nowadays. Yeah, if, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if um, an engineer or an operative or or whoever needs to take off their glove to take a photo to put a glove back on, that glove's not going back on. No. And so yeah, um, I'm, I turned up to site and I turned around to him and went, "So you like the gloves then?" And they went, well, mm. you haven't asked us. I went, I don't need to. You're still wearing them. Mm. And they went, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we like them. Well, I know yeah. you like them. You're still wearing them. If you didn't, you won't be wearing them. And I think you you reminded me now of a time where I have seen that done really well, which was on uh, on a different site where, again, we had a similar rule where you had to wear, it was a little bit more lenient. It was like sort of what we were talking about the other day where you need to wear gloves generally, but you know, on a risk basis. And um, there was a company that we got in to run the trial. I think it might be the same company we're talking about. Um, and they did a really good job. They had a whole approach to it. They had like, they came in and the toolbox talk was actually good. It was about getting the gangs to think about what gloves they might need for particular situations rather than just blanket rules. Yeah. But the point of it was, and going back to this load on LinkedIn, is that they did the consultation and they understood perspectives of different people in the room rather than saying right we've just gone away and done a new a nice new board that says wear gloves on site in a different way whereas actually what we need and again this is kind of why we talk about these these posts on linkedin and why we talk about this is the consultation piece was missing or the understanding that other people 
might not be able to conform to that rule. And actually what you need to do to be able to get people there is have a conversation with them, also known as consultation. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Cool. So I think that's about it for today's episode. So should we should we say thank you and tell people where to find us on yeah. social media? Yeah, definitely. Um, thank you very much for listening. And we um, appreciate your feedback that we've received so far. I have put some of that feedback onto our Insta page. Yeah, I was amazed to see how many people commented. And we got quite a lot of comments that have really helped us shape today's podcast as well, which is really good. So if you gave us some comments, thank you so much for putting that through. Um, you mentioned the Instagram. You have been hard at work setting up our social medias, Anthony. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So our handles are Adams underscore Hayes, and that's both for X, which was Twitter, um, and Instagram. Uh, mm. We also have an email address. If you want to email us, uh, we're at podcast at a a hcs.co.uk i'll put that uh, link on our socials so please feel free to get in touch if you've got any feedback whether it's positive or negative uh, we really don't mind and if you want to suggest a topic for one of our features please um please reach out to us yeah and you know whether it's a Mythbusters or it's something you've seen in the news, but definitely Mythbusters. We'd love loads of suggestions on Mythbusters because we we reckon we can we can have some fun with that one. Um, I, I'm also going to give a massive shout out to the LOHSG, so the Lancashire Occupational Health and Safety Group, because I dropped them the podcast while we were looking to see whether we should go live. Um, and the, the feedback and support that we've received from them has been absolutely phenomenal. Thank you very much um so goodbye from me and goodbye from me and until next week or next time whenever it is you listen to us stay safe stay healthy and stay well